This is Wendy Parrish, and you're listening to Messages from the Middle. This is episode number 22, Deer in the Headlights. For this episode, I share an experience that I had this past weekend where a deer hit my car. That's right, the deer hit me. I did not hit the deer. And it got me thinking about overcorrecting. Had I overcorrected and swerved to miss the deer, how I would probably have been in worse shape than I was just allowing the deer to hit my car. And it got me thinking about how as a people, we've overcorrected on a few things to do with mental health. This is just 30 minutes of me just sharing my thoughts about this overcorrection. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into the episode. Have you noticed that people don't usually share their struggles until they're over? It's not until they've defeated their dragon and marched victoriously home that they share their story. Well, I'm not one of those people. My name is Wendy Parrish, and I am in the middle of my story. From the middle, I've learned a few things, and I would like to bring you into my story. This is the good, the struggle, the light, the dark, and the lessons learned. This is Messages from the Middle. So imagine that you're driving along the road. It's maybe a little bit past sunset, a little dusky, and you're driving along the road and all of the sudden, pretty much out of nowhere, a giant buck deer comes into the road, barely into your line of sight, and bam, slams into your car. I don't have to imagine that. That's exactly what happened to me on Saturday night as I was driving back from Great Falls. Just driving along on what could be known as the elk slash deer corridor of Montana. A car passed me with the lights in their eye. My eyes, I couldn't see. And all of the sudden, there were actually two bucks crossing the road. The one made it in front of me, and the other one smashed right into me. I saw the first one, so I hit my brakes, and the other one just smashed me, smashed the whole left side of my car. It was so awesome and enjoyable. So here's the thing. My dad taught me when I was learning how to drive, probably even before I was learning how to drive, As a physician, as a radiologist, he had seen his share of accidents that had happened near in a canyon near where I grew up, probably a couple of the canyons near where I grew up, where people swerved to miss an animal, usually a deer, and ended up in a worse wreck than they would have been in had they just hit the deer. So I was taught you hit the deer. You just hit the deer. Slow down, stop, do what you can but do not swerve, hit the deer. So that's what I did. And I was a little rattled, a little shaken. I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen. I pulled over. I went to get out and assess the damage, maybe see where this deer was. By the way, the deer was nowhere to be found. So he ran away. I like to believe he's totally fine and, you know, frolicking in a field somewhere after getting a little, a little bit of a bruise on its flank. That's all that happened to the deer. I'm sure of it. So I pull over. It was a little hard to get out of the car because my door was smashed in to, you know, and I go to survey the damage and then I get back in the car and I'm kind of rattled and shaken and 
thinking, okay, now I have to drive the rest of the way home with a broken car. The car ran fine. Everything was fine. There's no like, looks like most of the damage to the car is cosmetic. The engine ran great. It even, the alignment was even okay. Anyway, that's not really anything to do with what I want to talk about today. What I wanted to talk about, what this got me thinking about was this idea of overcorrecting and overcorrection. So you see something dangerous coming into your line of sight. And instead of maybe slowing down, hitting the brakes, doing whatever you can, you swerve. You swerve to miss this danger that's headed your way. And I'm here to tell you that that doesn't end well, usually. There's some situations where maybe it does. Maybe you just kind of spin out a little bit and you're fine. But if you're going to have a rollover with the car, that's when that's going to happen. Where I grew up, what was happening was people were swerving to miss the deer and they were going off the road and there was a river there. So they would go into the river, especially if it's cold and icy. So these swerves, these overcorrections are much more dangerous than just hitting the danger head on. And it got me thinking about so many ways, so many different analogies to this. So I'm going to start with the first one that comes to mind. And as you may have figured out by now, what with me having a mental health podcast, I am a huge advocate for mental health, mental health awareness, talking about it, accepting that it is real, that people are struggling, people are hurting, and I'll tell you who's hurting, and that's our kids, our teens, our college-age kids. There's a big contingent of people that really are hurting. However, in an effort to become more loving, that's not the right word, in an effort to become more accepting and talking about mental health and, and really making it more understood, we have overcorrected in some regards. Let me explain. When a person is feeling sad and not happy all the time, they can believe that they are depressed because they are not happy all the time. Or they are in a state of depression or funk because they are not happy all the time. Good mental health is not being happy all the time. Good mental health is having the appropriate emotion for the appropriate situation. For example, if someone you know and love dies, you should be sad. If you get a bad grade on an essay you wrote and poured your heart and soul into and a teacher doesn't fall in love with it, strictly and really only on their own opinion about what you wrote about, and you're frustrated and angry, you should be frustrated and angry. If it's 2020 and the world is shutting down and no one really knows what's going on and you're scared and school's been canceled and work's been canceled and the media is losing their dang minds and you feel anxious and scared, you should feel anxious and scared. Those are appropriate responses to scenarios. The other thing that's worth considering is happy is not the opposite of depression. 
Andrew Solomon says the opposite of depression is vitality. That just means feeling alive. So what does it mean to feel alive? And that once again means feeling all the emotions at all the right times. And I'm going to draw a little bit more attention to the feeling all the emotions. Because another overcorrection that I've seen happening in my life and in other people's life is disassociations or derealization. So in an effort to not feel negative emotions, we feel no emotions. You can't just shut out your feelings for negative emotions. You can't just say, I don't want to feel sadness, fear, anger, but I want to feel joy and happiness and excitement. It doesn't go that way. If you are turning off your sensation for emotion, you're turning off your sensation for emotion, all of it. If you're not willing to feel the deep sadnesses, you're not going to feel the joyous, happy times in the spectrum that you should feel them. We tend to narrow our spectrum on how well, how deeply we feel our emotions in an effort to protect ourselves from feeling emotions. So these are two things I think are happening in an overcorrection for what we believe is dealing with mental health. And I am not saying that mental health professionals are doing this. I don't even think that a lot of the pop psychology out there is even saying this. I just think that this is the message that a lot of the youth, and honestly not even just youth, are getting. I don't feel happy all the time. Something's wrong with me. I'm not feeling joy and happiness all the time. Something's wrong. Or if you are if you are in a situation of stress and hard work and difficult times and challenges, you think that thing, let's use school, for example, because school definitely does that. College, college definitely does that. It puts stress on you and it makes you have to work hard and it makes you deal with challenges you've never dealt with before and come up against walls that you have to figure out how to climb over. And it's feeling a lot like as soon as a person hits that wall, they go, okay, apparently my mental health can't handle school. I guess I'm done. And either they just don't really apply themselves or in the case of college, either don't go or just drop out. And what isn't being understood is to get to where you want to be, you have to go through that. Everything you want is on the other side of hard. And not just hard, really hard. I compare a lot of these challenges to physical because that's something tangible that I can understand. If you want to lift heavy weights, you got to start with the light weights. But you don't stay with those light weights. You don't go, oh boy, I don't know. Those 15s were really hard for me. I'm going back to the fives. You don't do that. You work on those 15s. You do what's called progressive overload. You keep working your way up to heavier and heavier weights. Anyone who lifts heavy weights is laughing right now at my 5 to 15. But I'm telling you right now, my bicep curls, it's really hard for me to get much heavier than 15. My, my apologies to heavy weightlifters. So again, everything you want is on the other side of hard. 
And what's interesting is in this effort to have, you know, quote unquote, air quotes, good mental health, that feeling that we need to be happy all the time, we don't give ourselves any challenges. We don't put ourselves up against anything hard. And then your mental health actually takes a dive because you're not challenging yourself. And as much as the brain is seeking comfort and safety, the brain also wants and needs a challenge. It needs to work. The body needs a challenge and it needs to work. I read about this in Jay Shetty's book, Think Like a Monk. He talks about how they built a, oh boy, I can't even think of the right word. So I'm just going to say an environmental bubble. (laughs) So a big bubble that had the perfect conditions for plants to grow. It had the perfect humidity, the perfect temperature, the perfect amount of sunlight, everything. But what they were finding was that the trees would grow to a certain height and fall over because the root systems weren't getting deep enough because there was no wind. They forgot about the wind. The wind is necessary for these plants to resist and work against so that they can dig a deep root system. We need to come up against these big, hard challenges and dig a deep root, dig a deeper root system. I found this particularly true in my life because I feel a little bit like I've gotten a pass in a lot of ways. Let me explain. My husband is a physician. He dug in deep from the time he was, oh, I'll say eight, and worked hard every second of his life. He was either working hard in school or working hard at work. In fact, fun fun little side note, he mowed my family's lawn as we were growing up. He was always working and working hard. And I worked hard, got into school, even got a scholarship to go to school um, for music. Well, okay. Here's another little fact about me you may or may not know. My scholarship was for musical theater, and that's what I started out in, but I have nothing to do with musical theater anymore. Anyway, and I worked hard to get through school, and I have to tell you, a music degree is a lot harder than you might think. Those of you that have gone to school for music, you know what I'm talking about. People that haven't probably are like, what do you do? Just sit around and like sing all the time? No, it was really, really hard work. And I worked hard and I spent hours in a practice room and hours studying because I had to learn anatomy and so many different things that you wouldn't even think about as a vocal performance major. But I finished with my bachelor's degree right after I got married, about the year after I got married, and proceeded to follow my husband as he went after his big, huge, audacious goal of becoming a doctor. And I worked a little bit. I taught music lessons for years. But what I really got to do is rest on his hard work. I got to just sit back, let him go to work, bring home the paycheck. You know, I'm not going to say that the process of having children and raising children was ever easy. But when it came to big, hairy audacious goals. I just didn't have any. And I started to notice just this feeling of atrophy in myself. And so I just started setting goals for myself. 
I started, you know, teaching group fitness and getting those, those things taken care of. I started studying just on the side. I taught myself photography. I just had to start setting goals and challenges for myself to get out of the funk and the feeling of being, of just allowing myself to atrophy. And you can. Some people are in a situation as I was where you can just not really do much, but then you're going to find when things get hard, you're not ready and you're not prepared. You prepare for the hard times during the good times. The time to prepare for the marathon is starting months in advance. You don't wake up the morning of the marathon and go, I guess we'll hit that 26.2 miles today. The time to prepare is before. And the time to prepare for when those big, giant, scary buck deer that come running towards you is before, during those times. So we create challenges for ourselves to train our brains to get better and do better. So again, I just want to put out there that maybe we need to do better at avoiding the overcorrection of thinking that good mental health is being happy all the time. The opposite of depression is vitality, being alive. And being alive is working towards something. Our caveman ancestors had to work towards feeding themselves, sheltering themselves, keeping themselves safe. So while the brain was seeking comfort and safety, that was literally because comfort and safety was hard to come across. Comfort and safety now is the easiest thing available to us. It's just there. It's just there. That's all you have to do. Like, if I want comfort and safety, all I have to do is press stop on stop on this recording and, you know, go lie down on my bed and turn on an episode of Suits. Is everybody else watching Suits right now? Because I kind of hear that that's what's happening. Anyway, it's easy to find. So we have to approach challenges and create challenges and accept that we don't always need to be creating euphoric, happy, joyful scenes all the time, or we are suffering from bad mental health. If you're happy all the time, and I'm talking like euphorically happy, like in my mind, in my definition, there is a difference between joy and happiness. To me, joy is the underlining feeling of well-being, goodness, looking at your life and being grateful for everything. And even though there will be times that you look at things and there's sadness and you'll have frustration and, and sadness and anger and, you know, the whole gamut of emotions, you still feel that underlying feeling of joy. Happiness is like, well, I was going to say Disneyland, but if you were to ask my husband, Disneyland is not happiness. But happiness is that like, you know, it's the it's a it's a higher level emotion. It's not a baseline emotion. We shouldn't expect to feel happy all the time. We should expect there to be downtimes. And we should expect that when we're just not doing anything, we feel okay. That's the opposite of depression. Now, <laughs> If you are depressed, that's another story. That is an underlying feeling of hopelessness, an underlying feeling of 
no hope for the future, looking into the future and not seeing anything. An underlying feeling of, I don't know, meh comes to mind. It's hard to explain, but it's not necessarily, while it is true in severe times of depression, and I've had my days where getting out of bed is a challenge, you know, showering, getting dressed, all of that is a challenge. It's mostly not that. It's mostly I can get out of bed. I can get dressed. I can get my kids to school. I can even feed myself. But it doesn't, it feels like everything is in black and white or gray. It's numb. There's not really any feelings. I think um, I've had it described as, you know, a funk, but I think it goes deeper and longer than that. But I think that the real question to address and to think about when you're thinking about depression is hopelessness. That feeling of looking into the future and if you go, oh no, I can't do that. And there's a difference. Like my kids are getting ready to go back to school next week and when they think about the first day of school, they're both going, oh, I'm so nervous, I'm so scared. That's different. It's the, I, I have no hope for that. This thing may happen, it may come and go, but it won't change anything. It won't change the way I feel. And that is my own description of depression, but it's pretty much, I've talked to a lot of people that that feeling of hopelessness or no hope for the future has kind of been a, a theme that I've heard. So I'm just bringing that one up. Depression is even, you, you can even feel okay. And you can't even feel happy sometimes, but you don't feel joy. Joy is sucked out of things. So I hope that that makes sense as far as explaining how there's an overcorrection on what mental health is supposed to be. I'm saying it again for the third time. It is being able to feel the full spectrum of emotions at the appropriate time. That is good mental health. And I think that's worth exploring in your own life. What are you expecting from your mental health? What are you seeing in your mental health? And what do you think is depression? Same thing with anxiety. There is, I have a test to take, I'm nervous and I'm worried. And then you take the test and it's fine. You have something coming up, there's something on the horizon and you're nervous and and, and anxious for that, but it goes away. Anxiety is just there. And sometimes it takes you a while to even find the word for it. Like, what is this? I don't know what this feeling is. I just don't like being in my body. I don't like the way I feel. I'm, I'm nervous and scared about something, but I don't know what. I don't have a thought about it. I don't, I don't know where it's coming from. When I feel super anxious, what I, I really do just want to cry. And I actually kind of want to throw up. And I don't know why. So again, feeling anxious for something that's coming up is perfectly okay and normal. And and to say I have anxiety about this is something different than saying you have diagnosed anxiety. So what I'm saying is, if you have good mental health, and if you're working towards good mental health, it's not always going to be pretty. The deer's going to hit your car. And it might be smashed up a little bit and there might be an insurance claim or, you know, some other things going on that you're going to have to deal with. I mean, I was lucky my car was able to make it home, but I was in one piece and I was safe and I was 
I was able to make it home. Where if you overcorrect and overdo it, and the way that we overcorrect is think that thinking we need to be happy all the time, so we buffer. We either do things like, you know, watch Netflix all the time because that's what makes us feel happy. I mean, substance abuse is prime for this. I don't, I'm not feeling happy all the time. I need to do this thing. It makes me feel elevated emotion. It makes me feel happy all the time. If that, you know, that is definitely a big one. Video games. And again, all of these, well, I'm sorry, substances I have a strong opinion on and maybe other people can sit here and argue with me. I'm not going to sit here and go, it's okay in moderation. I actually don't feel that way. But Netflix and video games, I do feel that way. Food, I feel that way. Like eat the birthday cake, absolutely. But don't eat a whole birthday cake all the time because you're not happy unless you're eating chocolate. You have to understand that you're not always going to feel happy. You may have to eat the kale salad and you may not love it, but that's okay because it's better for you in the long run. So the way that we're overcorrecting is by going into the spiral, the spin, the rollover by doing these things that have a net negative. If you're sitting and watching Netflix all the time, what aren't you doing? Are you not doing your work? Are you not doing your schoolwork? Are you not reaching towards goals? Are you not getting in your steps? Are you not walking, eating healthy, and so on? You know, sitting and watching TV all the time is going to have a net negative on your overall health. Substance abuse has a net negative on your overall health. Don't at me on that. I stand by that 100%. Playing video games, I'm all for it. In fact, I have come to believe that play and video games in a lot of cases helps with problem solving and executive function. I feel like in video games, kids have to actually like search and find things and get solutions. And I think it's awesome. It's when it becomes obsessive. If I'm not playing video games, I don't feel good. I'm not happy. So you're not doing your schoolwork. You're not doing your work work. You're not helping your, you know, working on your physical health. You're not exercising, eating right, drinking water, getting outside and getting in the sun. All of this is an example. And I will even go as far as to say exercise, because that's one of the things that has helped me feel happy. In 2020, I would wake up and do a workout. And then I would go for a walk or a run. I actually was running at this time. And then I'd do yoga. And then I'd walk on the treadmill. And it was all this effort to not ever sit in my feelings. And I injured my back doing that. (laughs) I definitely injured my back doing that. And ended up with, you know, some not so great mental health by the end of it because I wasn't sitting in my feelings and accepting them and acknowledging them. I was just running away from all of it, literally. So any of these things that you do to try to feel happy all the time is an overcorrection that will cause a net negative in your life. And that's why sometimes we just have to sit in discomfort. We just have to be uncomfortable. This is going to be hard. This is going to be uncomfortable. This is going to be stressful. I'm going to be anxious about this. Even sitting in I don't actually know how to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. 
That's a big one for me, like starting a podcast. I have no idea what goes into starting a podcast. So I guess I'll just sit down and record something and then figure it all out later, which I did. And I'm going to plug Jenna Kutcher's podcast lab course that she offers that to teach me that taught me how to actually produce a podcast. Anyway, that was out of nowhere. So everything that you want is on the other side of hard and being able to work through hard and discomfort is how you improve your mental health. And I think I might have driven that point home just a little bit. And again, like I said, the overcorrection with disassociation and separating yourself from your emotions, that is just another form of buffering so that we avoid our feelings, we stay away from our feelings, and how do we disassociate? What are the things that we're doing to disassociate? We're not sitting in a corner in the dark. We are finding ways to not feel those feelings. Some people can do it. I can do it. I mean, disassociation is my other jam. Disassociation and isolation, those two are my jam. And it's not like I necessarily have to be watching all the episodes of Doctor Who so I don't feel those feelings. I can just turn them off. I can actually just be like, somebody will be talking to me. I will feel an uncomfortable feeling happening as a result. And I just fold into myself and just stop feeling the feeling start thinking of something else or just literally flipping a switch inside of me to not feel that. And that is not helping me or anyone else work through whatever it is that needs to be worked through. In fact, when I tell my therapist about this, because I was kind of proud of myself thinking, you know, I can just not feel that emotion. I can just turn it off. I can just not be sad, angry, livid, morose. I'm trying to come up with more emotion words. Um, When something bad happens, I can just turn it off. And I was thinking, I'm so proud of myself. And my therapist says, that's basically like letting those emotions go into the next room and start lifting heavier weights until they become bigger and stronger. And they come in like Arnold in his prime, ready to just really come back with a vengeance. And I have definitely found that to be true. I feel like maybe that is a big part of why my mental health just crashed when it did. Because between disassociation and me using exercise as a buffer to not feel and sit in the discomfort and fear of my emotions, I just let them get bigger and stronger and come in like the Kool-Aid man breaking down the wall and ready to like take me down. And there's one more thing that we do as a people right now, and I guess maybe I'll go with people in the Western Hemisphere, maybe, maybe just the United States, is avoid triggers, thinking that that is what we need to do to be able to be in a good mental health state. Here's the thing. This one was a hard one for me to hear from my therapist, and I've said it before on other podcasts, but it is avoiding triggers is a symptom of the problem, not the cure. Now, I understand that there are times when we're dysregulated and a trigger will really cause some issues, 
maybe then we do need to avoid them until we are in a state and a place where we can manage them. But learning how to be triggered and find a way to regulate yourself is the key to mental health. Avoiding triggers, again, is like avoiding the hard thing because you think that nothing should be challenging. Avoiding taking that test, avoiding lifting those weights, avoiding a stressful situation. I think almost everybody on this planet, maybe not, has heard about how when baby chicks are born, if you help them open their egg, if you help them work their way through the shell, they won't survive. That effort of them breaking their way through the shell is how they become strong enough to survive in this world. The same thing goes for butterflies coming out of cocoon. The work and the hard time, the hard that they have to go through to get out of the cocoon is what makes them then strong enough to fly. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be accepting that there is a level of stress. There's a level of triggered. There's a level of sadness and frustration and anxiety that is okay and that is good for us. And understanding that we need to sit in those emotions, feel those emotions, work through those emotions. I feel like when I say sit in those emotions, it feels like I'm telling you to just like sit down and just feel it all. Sometimes what you actually do is you take that emotion and you put it in your pocket and you're like, all right, I guess you're with me for the day. Fear is mine. It's just I'll feel fear. And I'm like, okay, fear, I guess you're coming with me to the grocery store. I guess you're going to be with me while I clean my kitchen. You just allow that emotion to be, just allow it to be. It's going to be there. It's your body telling you something. And sometimes it's just there. And sometimes when it's like, okay, thank you. I've been hurt. It will go. It's not going to go away forever. It'll come back when it has something to tell you again. But learning how to feel that emotion and again, process that emotion it will really help you to understand that feeling the full spectrum of emotions is going to help you to find true and real good mental health. Thank you so much for listening to me today. I hope that you were able to follow the stream of consciousness that my brain was just going off on for a period of time today. I want you to know that you are loved and that you matter, no matter who you are or where you are in your story. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining me in the middle of my story. My theme music is White Linen by Asher Child. He's my kid. You can find all of his amazing music on all streaming platforms. And you know, it just wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't ask you to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. But seriously, it would really mean so much to me if you did. Thank you so much and see you next time.